Today's episode is brought to you by Plowshares Solos, a reading subscription that delivers long-form stories and essays right to your e-reader. Longer than a typical short story, shorter than a novel, Plowshares Solos are the perfect length to enjoy on your commute, drinking your morning coffee, or whenever. Uh, Plowshare Solos make picking out your next read easy. Every month you'll get a new story or essay delivered automatically to your Kindle, Nook, smartphone, iPad, whatever, for just $10. Visit pshares.org slash nerdist to buy a year's worth of reading right now. The stuff in Plowshares is really good. Um, They're published by Emerson College, my alma mater. Uh, Plowshares is a world-renowned literary journal that's been publishing award-winning literature since 1977. That is not an overstatement. They actually do really good stuff. Uh, subscribe today. Visit p-s-h-a-r-e-s pshares.org slash nerdist today. Now entering nerdist.com. Today's episode was recorded at the ATX Television Festival in Austin. Uh, season four, which was this year, first weekend in June 2015. We had so much fun at ATX this year. It was bigger and better than it ever was. I don't know why you're not coming next year. Go to atxfestival.com and get your badge for next year. Don't wait to find out who's going to be there, because if you wait to find out who's going to be there, you're going to miss an opportunity to get your badge. Go to atxfestival.com. nice. Jim, Jim is excited. <laughs> let's talk about, let's go, I'm jumping in. Do, you just, he tweets. Do you follow him on Twitter? Canyon Jim. You're Canyon Jim. Yeah, I, it was a secret up until now. But yeah. <laughs> you want followers? Follow the man. I'm Where's Lunch Phil. <laughs> um, uh, uh, You just tweeted about Jon Stewart. Tell the people what you tweeted. Yeah, it's starting to get me. It's starting to get me how huge the loss is, that if ever there was an absolutely irreplaceable figure in comedy and in the culture, and, you know, you you can't match it because, no, first of all, he does all the work, he has the passion, he has... So I just started like a grieving period that this is, there's no way to replace this guy. And I tweet about it and I said, and I said, this could be the end of the glory days of, you know, which is sort of sad of Comic Central because you lose Carell and you lose Jon Stewart. It's, and then people are tweeting, nah, it's better than, you know, and I couldn't, I, I couldn't get it um, because there's never been anybody like, there's never been anybody like him. Can you think of anybody that compares in terms of Content and funny and being able to do well, I, I would I would say Colbert, but he's going to move over and but take not a politically. Role. I mean, not not politically, not with that passion, not with that search for truth. You well, know. we were actually getting our news from John Stewart. Yeah, right, yeah, because yeah, we trusted yeah, him. Yeah, since yeah. I would say since Walter Cronkite, John Stewart. Yeah, <laughs> yep, 
Who else? You can't yeah. go to Brian Williams. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But Colbert's a genius, I think. I think you agree that yes. this is one of the great geniuses in the media, yes. and I can't wait for his show. But we also have to talk about it's, this is a big change in comedy that's happening at this moment. And TV only talks about it uh, as an event that they can promote and not this kind of seismic change in the comedy landscape with Letterman leaving, with Stewart leaving. This is a big time. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I really don't think anything's quite like Stuart leaving. I think yeah. the, the arrest is a natural evolution. It happened. It happened great. It happened when, when, you know, it happened in each case where the person wanted it to happen. Yeah. Uh, and it is, and it is a shift because, I mean, you know, the, Letterman's the god king of talk shows. He is. And Stuart was, a, you know, a man unto himself. We were watching. He is a man unto himself. Yes. But we were watching those last few episodes of Letterman. And yeah, that yeah, you, you, yeah. I don't think it was until then. He almost yeah. se- seemed reborn while dying, yeah. while, while, while going away. The consistency is that there was always an extraordinary honesty about him, that, that, the, that, there, that more than any other figure, I think, there was no artifice. You knew when he was in trouble. You knew when he did something wrong. Yes. You know, and you know, in each case, when the country was in trouble, they just rose up, these guys. Stuart, too. Yes, yeah, yes, both of them. Yes, yes, they're memorable. These were the yes, trusted yes, guys, yes. not just because they were so funny. Well, special, yes, especially, yes. In each case, especially Stuart, I think. Yes. Yeah. All right, so you've influenced so many uh, people, including me, and it's, it's, you know, even though we're friends, it's an honor for me to talk to you in this thing because this is James Lingonberry Brooks. This is a big deal. <laughs> My middle name was a secret, too, up till now. So if we could talk about your early influences a little bit, because I'm... I'm, How does somebody get to be you? Is it nature versus nurture? I'm wondering where you come down on the side there. Like, for instance, were you breastfed? (laughs) We're talking about early influences. (laughs) I... uh... I think we were too poor for that. <laughs> but you were raised by lots of ladies. I, I was raised by a mother and an older sister. But, and, and there were other women around too, you said? Yes. Aunts my, and my thi- mother, right? my, Yes, everybody had a lot of aunts, yes. And where was dad? Uh, yeah, taverns, uh, bars, uh, police stations. Uh, yeah. It was like that? Uh, almost, yeah. Norman Lear has a similar thing. Well, where uh, he saw maybe his dad. he likes to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't trade on this. <laughs> All right, we're skipping Dan. Don't mention Dan. Uh, but so that obviously had to have an influence on your sensibility and then the things you wrote about. You wrote about women a lot. You still do. Well, what, it, what my upbringing had was to dull ambition, you know, because, you know, we, we, you know, we're in there trying to just survive. So I never had, you know... the. I mean, I, I always wanted to write. It always seemed something that doesn't happen. And, um, and then I, I just, I, I, was in, I was working for CBS News, and that was a steady job. And then I, I went out to California, and I still can't believe I gave up a steady job for the chances, and I worked for, for a documentary house. And then right. I got... And wasn't William Friedkin in that same yes, he documentary was. Yes, he house? Was. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Walper, Yeah. And, uh, and then I got laid off after four months. And then I met Alan Burns, who was, who I think, had three shows that he created on the air. 
And I was, and, and we were at a grubby documentary New Year's Eve party, and he walked in with a tuxedo. He was a great-looking guy, and um, and I met him for the first time. And somebody, I said, you know, I sort of mumbled something about wanting to write comedy, and he got me a break. He got me my first break, and then we ended up being partners for a long time. Fantastic. Yeah. So, and it was because he was wearing a tux that you were attracted to? He, he had to come. He had said, at last, we're with the real people. He'd gone to some fancy thing that they have for people who have at least two shows on the air. Wow. I had no idea you were that shallow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's... No, I get it. I totally get it. But I, 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 if you go on IMDb, you'll see your first credit that's listed. you know what it is? It's it, Men in Crisis. Wow. What is that? Men in Crisis was a documentary series uh, done at Walper Productions. Yeah. You know, it was, it was like, and they used to do like Halsey versus Yamamoto, a story of World War II. It had always been, you know, and then National Geographics, which I did there, was the wasp against the bees. It was like, those, those are the kind of things. And when I did the wasp against the bees, what you do at that time, you had, you know, you're doing, going through stock footage, and you're at a moviola, and I had a tremendous fear of insects. I mean, tremendous. It was a phobia. And I, and I had to be there just looking at the most awful corpses in the war between wasps and bees. And, uh, and it cured me. And it was like aversion therapy. That's very good. So if anybody has something funny on their body, I'll come right over. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, that, and now the shows, I mean, you, this is... This is Jim Brooks, so, but, so you might be surprised to know that he wrote episodes for That Girl, right? Is that right? Do you remember anything yeah. from that? Um, Persky and Denhoff, you know, when you talk about influences, the Dick Van Dyke show was the gold standard. And Persky and Denhoff were therefore the gold standard, and they, and they did That Girl, and just working, you know, for them was... Uh, was amazing because they'd say these extraordinarily funny things and then I'd say, can I use that in my script? He said, that's what we get paid for. You know? <laughs> but there was, there was also My Mother the Car was in there? Yes, that was Alan Burns' show. Yep. Yep. Amazing. Yep. That was Jerry my first Van job. Dyke. Yep. First job. Unbelievable. Did you, did, when, you're lear- when you're on that show... Which show? Either one. In yep. the early years... You're, you're obviously, you're learning stuff that you're going to use later. Do you remember specific things from doing these types of sitcoms that would never leave you? Because they were single camera and then you did, you've done all yeah, kinds. There, there, there was one multiple camera show called Hey Landlord, which was done, and I was just talking to people who worked with Gary Marshall, was done by Gary Marshall and Jerry Belson, who were also, like when they did The Odd Couple, they were one of the great comedy writing teams ever. And, um, and I was a fledgling writer, and I did... This is a multiple camera show with an audience, and I did an episode, which... And they were, like, the coolest guys there were, so it was amazing doing an episode. And then they were going to film that episode in front of an audience, so I got online with the people online, and then somebody said, you, you don't have to stand online because you wrote the episode, and we go inside. <laughs> and, 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 and for the most exciting moment of my life, and in the first scene, I, I think... I think Sally Field was in it. Can I be right? I think so. In the first scene, Sally Field is there, and a guy walks in in a bear suit that's clearly going to be around for a while. There was no bear suit in the script that I wrote. (laughs) I was with my sister, and and it was like the worst time of my life because for the rest of the show, when the audience would laugh, she said, is that your line? No, it wasn't. Is that your line? No, it wasn't. And it pretty much went that way for the whole thing. 
and yeah. That's like Russian television. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, bear suit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, that's all I got, everybody. I, uh, <laughs> no, he got. He threw me with the bear suit. Um, I want to. I want to talk about a show that's very, I think, underrated, undernoticed for as great as it is. Jim created Room 222. Do you remember that show? It's so revolutionary. It's the kind of thing that that if you put it on now, it would be edgy. Yeah, it was. It, it, there was a guy named Gene Reynolds who was uh, who did Mash, and um, and who was a great director, and he was um, a, a very strong guy. And I think it took him. This was in a time when I, th- I think it was probably the first show with two African Americans in the cast. I, it was very early on. I think within months of being, you know, show called Julia with the first woman, African American woman on television. So it was really that that fresh and, and, and the pilot episode which I wrote and, and which and which Gene and Gene kept on sending me back to the high school for research and that became a lifelong thing with me research because he kept on forcing me to it and I saw how valuable it was. But you had been a journalist. Yeah. So that so, had that yeah. probably a great way to start. Are there other writers I'm sorry to interrupt, but are there other sitcom writers or writers of drama who start as journalists that you know of? Several, I can't. So, you know, don't 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 ask me the names. But it but there seems are. like there a, are there are. It's it's a, you know. It seems not, like a great way in. It's good. It's yeah. good. I, Sorry, <laughs> keep going. Um, uh, the, the the pilot episode had uh, the teacher helping helping an African American kid, and the network said, for people to start buying this, he has to help a white kid, and that became a big deal, and it wouldn't have been won without Gene Reynolds. And once he won that battle, we, we sort of, and once we got on the air, people let us do what we wanted. They never bothered you again? No. How long did that run? About five years. What a great show. I, I, is it available? Can we see it I think somewhere? It, I think it probably is, yeah. I don't, it's yeah, so what, great. What isn't available these days? Yeah. Okay, so I know we're, we're hurtling through history here, and we're going to have time for your questions, too. But for now, it's me. Um, Mary Tyler Moore, for me, I'm going to say it's my favorite sitcom of all time. Uh, to me, it's the gold standard. And when I was in college, I would stay up. It was in syndication, and, and I would watch it. I think, is it possible it was on after Letterman at 12.30? Was I up at 1.30 in the morning watching an hour of Mary Tyler Moore? Yes. I loved it so much. And there was an episode called Chuckles Bites the Dust. Do you know which episode I mean? So I had a, We had a big argument, because yes. Phil wanted to show a clip from that. I yes. said, nobody will know what that show is. Look at the people. You were right, man. You were in right. The, I, you were I'm right. going to say this, even. In the best sitcom of all time, maybe that's the best episode of a sitcom of all time. Maybe. You want to um, pick another one? I, I might. I might yeah. Go ahead. Your show. <laughs> um, Chuckles was based on uh, my mother and aunt, who frequently got the giggles together going to a funeral. Great. That's so great. And, and they started a breakup during the funeral. Uh, so we started to work on that as an episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show. Were you sitting next to them when that happened? I was a kid. I was, yeah, I was a kid, and I was there, and I was very embarrassed, and yeah, and they were trying, and they were trying to stifle it, and they did, yeah. 
Um, Were you horrified as a kid, or did you think it was funny? I, I was in, I w- my constant state of embarrassment as a kid rose to a certain, <laughs> to a certain peak. Um, and, uh, and so we work, David Lloyd I, is one of the great names in comedy writing. He's, he, uh, and, and, and Phil sent me the script of uh, Chuckles, which I read, you know, I, and, and if you can get the script, read the script. It's online, it, very easy to get. It, it, and, and he was, you know, he wrote a ton of Marys, he wrote a ton of Taxis, and, you know, we, and, he, and, and it, it was great to work with him. So we, we did this, and because, you know, and it was, and we had Chuckles the Clown got... Um, got killed by a rogue elephant in a, in a, in a circus parade. Well, um, he was dressed as a peanut. Yeah, we're dressed, yes, yes. Yes, and, there, and everybody in the office starts doing jokes about it, which Mary takes offense about because the guy's dead. And, he, and it was a character we had referred to for years on the show. And then the, and then the last, at the funeral, Mary finally gets that it's funny and she's laughing at the most inappropriate time. So this became a very big deal. I mean, I mean, it was really well talked about. It was, you know, I guess for, for various reasons, so much so that we were invited to Cannes for a television festival with this episode. <clears throat> we go into a theater about two and a half times bigger than this one. You wear earphones so you can hear it in your language. We're sitting down there. We're in Cannes. Our famous American episode is there, and you... And not only did nobody ever laugh, <laughs> ever, ever, and except at a certain point, as we bombed like that, we started laughing. And it was exactly you like, it. you know, art imitating, awesome. you know, it was our inappropriate laughter with all these foreign, you know, TV turning around, yeah. That's so great. <laughs> We had a professor, we studied theater in school, and the theater professor, we were t- taking a play analysis class, and we were doing Moliere and Chekhov and... And, and Chuckles. He, <laughs> and he brought in Chuckles the Clown. Wow, man. As, not because he was trying to relate to us kids, he didn't even like us. <laughs> but because this is an example of great structure, of great topic, right? This is when edgy meant something. That you were talking about death was a big deal. It was not a, a topical issue. It was a universal issue. Well, that was extraordinary about television at the time. We were, we were in trouble for a rewrite. This is, the tr- this is only interesting because it's the truth. Uh, we, we, were, we were stuck for an ending to a show about Phyllis's brother, who, who was uh, dating Rhoda. These two women hated each other, if you know the show. And we didn't have an ending for the show, and we thought it would be funny to say um, that the brother was gay. And the, and, and the big remark was that Phyllis finds out for, for, that her brother is gay and therefore not really interested in Rhoda, and she says, oh, I'm so relieved. That was the big joke. <laughs> it was the first time there was a gay character on television. Amazing. Just doing that joke was the first time there was a gay character. And that was so weird. Mary took a birth control pill, and it was like never before had... It was, it's crazy that, that you know, those, those times existed that way where almost everything you did broke through a barrier because the barriers were so... How much fun. You know, Dick Van Dyke's twin beds, yeah. I'm afraid to ask you this. I don't want to offend you then in any way. Then don't, maybe. No, 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 I think I have to. Because <laughs> coming up as a writer myself in the business... I would ask questions about the guys who had been around before me 
about shows like Mary Tyler Moore and Taxi, and, and I said, what do you know about the Mary Tyler Moore's before we met? Oh, you know, that was written in a haze of marijuana. <laughs> is, that, is there any truth in that? <laughs> we had a staff maybe of about eight, and if a haze is three of eight, <laughs> then, oh, there, okay. then there was a haze, I think. Yeah. But was it wasn't say- written like that. It wasn't written like that. It was... Um, it, it was very, very sober writing, very long story conferences at, at, at the point where we were filming the tag. You know, when we'd finished the body of the show and we just had that last two-minute thing, yeah. that then it might be, yeah. That explains all the crazy shit that happened in the tags. No, it was, uh, it, it was so well-structured and so well... I mean, everyone... But, but there were shows done like that, very much like that. There was... Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially on the Paramount lot after that. That was, you know, it, we reflected that time. I mean, everybody, every show on the lot reflected that time. Yes. But it's certainly not, it wouldn't be, you know, we were pretty straight-laced compared Had to that. Had to be. I'm glad you, you set me straight. That was... Uh, I'm so uh, sorry you got me into it. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, uh, do, do you remember any great uh, anecdotes about Rhoda or Phyllis and that cast? And I want to talk about the use of Ted Baxter in that show because to me even as a as a college student watching it I was marveling at how you think the scene is about something the story and then Ted interrupts the scene and then it becomes about Ted and you forget the story because you're laughing so hard at what Ted is doing and was this conscious or during rehearsal is it coming up that oh my god Ted is just we got to give more to him you know, I, I, I can only talk very seriously about it because that, that show was my education. And, um, and we took longer to cast it than I think anybody had taken to cast a comedy. And the walls were coming in on us. And we had an on-the-air commitment because of Mary. And we really kept on going. And we ended up with a you know, great you know, extended ensemble cast. And each one came from a different discipline of acting and comedy. Each one, and there was, you know, there was store, there was Second City in there, and and, and Mary was a was a creature of television, and and um, and Cloris had had gone back to, you know, just the roots of group, the, the greatest theater companies, you know, the, Brando once referred to Cloris as the great actress to come out of his his discipline. So she had she had that going for her. And um, and and Ted was like a vaudevillian. He was like he was there was you know so it was that combination of people at that stage of my career to be talking to them all the time and to seeing what they can do and working with what they could do, and this 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 great thing happened on you know this I'll, I'll just because it popped into my mind I'll tell the story we on our first reading our first table reading we had a guest star who played. We never, he was never supposed to be seen again, the guy who did Mary wrong and kicked off the whole series. And, um, and we walked in, Alan and I walked in, and we had, we had been working on this for a long time, and, he, and it was something like who wrote this shit and tossing the script that we, walked, that we walked in on. And we went out of body, the two of us, and Alan's, you know, Alan's like 6'4", and, you know, and we pushed this guy against the wall. I'm, and it's atypical behavior for either one of us. We don't do that. It just happened that, that we both went at the same time. And there's no better way to get the respect of a cast <laughs> than seeing the two guys who had done the show throw an actor against the wall. 
This is my favorite story ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really happened. Yeah. <laughs> and did he start crying and say, please no, don't no, hurt no, me? No, no, yeah. Please don't hurt me, Jim Brooks. <laughs> Guys, I think. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> and and was he in the show anymore? I don't think no, we he saw him. No, he wasn't supposed to be. He wasn't supposed to be. Was the, that was the one episode, yeah. So you kept him for that episode? Yeah. You didn't fire him from No, the... no. He was really good after that. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy's name is? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. The, the, the tones of the styles that you mentioned, of the different acting styles... Were there ever clashes on set because this guy no. acts this way and this guy's coming in and doing this? It's ruining my thing? I think, see if this is your experience as well. When the star has perfect manners, as far as, as far as what you do on the series, everybody else does. And Mary was perfect in just, you know, she, she was perfect. Um, you know, at, at, when we did the last show, this is after seven years, we did the last show and we had all these people wrapping up and saying where they were going off to, we didn't give her a speech. <laughs> and, and she came in, and, and it was the first time she ever came to our office and asked for a change in the script. She said, can I have something to say? Shouldn't I say something? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Wow. Wow. And but best finale ever, right? I mean, a story has to end well. It doesn't end better than that. Boy, finishes are, are so tough. Mad Men Last, did it well. Who, pardon? Mad Men. I was just, to gonna, well, I was just yes. coming up to that. It's, yes. it's, it's, so many great shows have had a, not a great final episode, not up to their regular. It's so many because it's just so hard. Everybody's emotional, everything. And, and Mad Men is just one of the greatest ever. I just, just to have experienced that. What a great last yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. But you, I mean, you really had it. All right, I want to talk about uh, Taxi. Taxi, t- to me, seemed like if Mary was a lot of work and really caring about, you know, this kind of structure and making important leaps and, like you said, breaking barriers every week practically, Taxi seemed like a party. It seemed like so much fun for you guys. It absolutely was. It, everybody was at that stage of their lives. Um, it was a young cast. There was a, a, it was a primarily a single cast. I was trying to think of anybody who was married in the cast at that time, and I don't think so. And we had a, and the Paramount lot at that time, you know, Tom Hanks had a series and, and uh, Happy Days was on and Laverne and Shirley was on and, and um, Robin had his series on. And, and we were, so not only was everybody in this amazing company and we were all doing something we loved to do, and, but we were ostracized from the movie part of the lot. And at that time, though, it's very hard to believe now, if you worked in television, you did not work in movies ever, as it seemed at the time. So for us, it was great because not only were we all getting really well paid and having great lives, but we were also being ostracized, which was the icing on the cake, if you <laughs> understand what I mean. You know, we were rebels, and we were still like that. And, uh, and we all went to each other's stages. It's like you hear about the movie stages, the 40s. We all visited each other's stages. We'd finish. We'd go over there. And we had a party every Friday night that everybody came to, that was a, and every Friday night was a great party. Andy Kaufman was part of that, and, you know, and it was just, it was one of the, it was, and Danny DeVito brought in a lot of the actors that he had been with in Cuckoo's Nest, the movie, 
and they became part of our group, and it was the... And in the cast a little bit, too. And, and yep, and it was, the, it was the greatest spirit of work that I've ever been around. It was just, it's not only fun, everybody was really killing for the show. You know, it was just, everybody was at just the right point in their lives. Danny DeVito's audition is somewhat legendary. Do you remember that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Louis De Palma, you guys know the, the character and, you know, what, what he is. And we, uh, we had gotten him from, great, from research again where I saw at a cab company we were at somebody pay off the dispatcher for a clean cab. And that was sort of how Louis was born. And, and we were trying to cast that character. It was impossible. And everybody would come in. And again, it's the same kind of story, just staying at it, staying at it, which is hard to do when, you, when casting directors tell you you've run out and all that stuff. And, and, Danny, and Danny came in, and he threw the script away, and he said, which of you guys wrote this shit? Which was the second time I heard this. And he, it was immediate. I mean, before he read, he had the part. You know, it was... It was... And he's easy to throw up against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> but I always use him as an example because the note that's most destructive in television, I think, I think you will agree, is they're not likable. It's not likable. And I always point to Danny's character in Taxi, not very likable fellow, but he, we love him because, first of all, he's funny. And well, second of all, there is a humanity there. Yeah, a very specific humanity as the show went along more and more. I mean, he and his wife, Rhea Perlman, she came on the show, and that's where, she, you know, sort of where she started in television, coming on Taxi. And, and their romance was, because um, she was a nice girl, and it was Louis and the nice girl, somebody who's not entitled to a nice girl, and he has one, and doesn't know what to do with it. And, and I, I, I mean, I wish we had those clips right now, because they're... I They're love like, them. Yeah. By the way, you did it with Ted and Georgette, too. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. She was so nice, she could have... But it made perfect sense. Only a saint could be with this guy. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, there's so many shows. I, I'm sorry, we don't have time to cover everything. Like Lou Grant was an amazing show. Rhoda had her own show. I think you might have heard about a wedding on that show. Uh, Phyllis was a, a hilarious show. There was a show called The Associates, which was a sitcom. You had Martin Short in that show. Martin Short sort of busted out, and it was and and the pilot for that show. It's, it's silly to talk about, but the pilot was that show. I think I got off more than I ever did in my life on an episode because we were in big trouble, and then it was explosive when we did it. And we had we were on there for thirteen weeks. It was um, and I think like you know it's. It's not terrible to say. In my perception, we did three or four great episodes, you know, and we all, and then we went off the air. We never had the rating. We went off the air, uh, but but Marty was amazing, and and Marty used to go. Marty was just starting out, and uh, he used to go to the comedy store where you know where stand-ups were, and that was when Robin was happening, and he'd get up and he'd do an hour almost any night, you know, at the comedy store in Los Angeles. And Marty, who had his own series, would play the harmonica behind him. It was, and, and it's just, you know, that's when you start to love Marty. He was, I guess, the most beloved, if you had to say the most beloved comedy guy we got. Maybe the funniest person in the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you have a room of yeah, all the funny yeah, people, yeah. he's the funniest. I don't know anybody yeah. funnier. And he can do everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love him. Uh, let's go to the Tracy Ullman show. Okay. 
Okay, this is, this is they, they wanted to show you some clip, okay, and I, and I felt weird about it. <laughs> and, um, and then I thought, and they show me stuff that I've shown at, you know, so, and then I, I thought of a sketch that I've always had a fondness for that we did in the Tracy Ullman show. Tracy Ullman show, do you know Tracy Ullman? You, you know her and everything. <laughs> They seem to know okay, your work. Okay. Maybe, maybe one of the most talented women, you know, alive, just, just remarkable. And when we were doing the show, one night a black guy showed up at my door at home talking to me for a half hour. I had the wrong address. It was Tracy. And it was that half hour. I mean, she was, she was a miracle. She, and and, we, and we was, the Fox network was brand new, was on the verge of bankruptcy, we, we were told to do a variety show. We had a, we had a really good staff. Uh, Dan Castellaneta was, was part of the company. Um, and and, um, and it, we, it was the hardest show to do. It was a half-hour variety show. And we did four sketches a week. And you'd never go home thinking of how great the sketch was that worked. You'd always go home with the one that didn't work. And so, so it was never a feeling of completion. It was very arduous. And the audience, for, for 20 minutes of entertainment, it took us four hours to do because of the makeup changes. They were so... Ex- I remembered one thing from there, and I asked them to dig it up, which wasn't easy. It's at least 27 years old, this sketch. And... Um, and that's what I decided to show. So, so, so let's see what happens. Let's go this way so we can watch. All right, so I love that. I love that. I'm a little sad, actually, because you don't see sketches that good on television anymore. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a perfect sketch. Do you remember making that sketch, coming up with that sketch? Yeah, yeah, just the idea of items and an employment test and then, and then working on it from there and then talking to Tracy about it and then, you know, every, every step in the way. Oh, and, and the, big, the big breakthrough came when we saw, when somebody told us about it, we saw the woman who played the saw. And then we knew we sort of had a finish and we were able to put, you know, Tracy second. And Tracy could... Tracy can do anything, you know. I mean, it's just, that's it. That's a statement of truth. And, um, and you know, the, yeah. But this is typical of you. you. You have Tracy. Most people would have Tracy go last. Go, go last. Oh. Because it's hard to top that. But you don't settle there. You yeah, go for it, it, one better. I think that the, one of the things I love about this sketch is that it actually has story where you want to see what a happens A beginning, next. middle, and yeah. an end. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. rare yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. sketch television. Yeah. And so satisfying and, and beautifully done. Plus, it's a metaphor for many things, including writing. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And nothing beats and, funny and, dancing. And, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And, and, the, and the chuckles credo about comedy, you know, a little song, a little dance, a little seltzer down my pants. It, <laughs> it, it always holds true. <laughs> it's so beautiful. What, uh, I know we're running out of time, and I want to get to their questions, but you do have to talk about, you, we skimmed over him, Andy Kaufman. I know there's a famous story that we all love, that I love, about Andy and his alter ego. Oh, when they were both on the show? Yes. Boy, it's a tough story to tell quick. Um, you don't have to. What if we run over what happens? You're going to throw us out? 
We're all sitting here till three o'clock anyway for the other one, for the Simpsons panel. Oh. Oh. Did you know we did the Simpsons? I, I peaked show? a little while ago, so. Huh? What? I said I peaked a little while ago, so. I'm, <laughs> um, uh, okay, so we have all the time in the world. Why I was not? born in New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> um, we went to a club one night to see Andy Kaufman, who was a sensation doing Foreign Man. Sensation, you know, he, he just nobody like it. And he was going to be at the comedy store. And and um, uh, what was Clifton's? Um, Tony Clifton. Tony Clifton opened for him. Tony Clifton was the foulest Vegas comedian you ever saw. Insulted women, insulted people in the audience. They started booing him. The place almost really verged on people getting up and getting physical. It really verged on that. It was a smoldering atmosphere. He's booed off the stage. Danny, uh, uh, Andy comes on and kills, you know, as he always does. We're casting Taxi at the time. His manager, who was legendary and who was everybody's manager, George Shapiro, comes over and whispers in our ear, Tony Clifton is Andy. Andy did Tony Clifton. And you could not believe it. And, um, and then we negotiated to get him for a Taxi. Uh, to play a uh, sort of foreign man, Latka, and, and he insisted that the only way he joined the show is if we hired Tony Clifton as well, gave him a separate dressing room. And this stuff to Andy, I mean, the, you know, if you read about Andy, if you know anything about him, he was an utterly original person, maybe the, the guy who started performance art, you could say that. I mean, he was an original talent. So now Tony Clifton comes in and, and, and when we did, we only, he was only signed for seven, but he'd come in, Andy making no concession that it was him, no concession to anybody in the cast that he was Andy, and he would be the, the vilest guy you ever saw in your life. He, and, and now the rest of the taxi cast is coming at us, and we have a contract with Tony Clifton. And, 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 um, and I, I was a great defender of Andy, and I, and I, and I, I defended him to a colleague, and I said, he's an artist. And then my colleague said, an artist doesn't piss on other artists, which also made sense to me. So we said, we have to fire Tony Clifton. <laughs> so we call Andy to fire Tony Clifton, and Andy asked that the firing be public and take place on the stage. <laughs> so... So the day arrives, Tony Clifton arrives with two prostitutes on his arms, <laughs> and not expensive ones. And, <laughs> and so the cast is seeing this, and, and, it, and, and now, as, to, as Andy Tony was always able to do, things are genuinely stirred up. It's not a bit, it's not anything, because he's gone so far that things are stirred up. Paramount security comes, and drags Tony Clifton off the lot. I mean, drags him like in a silent movie off the lot and tosses him out the gates. Andy, who rarely did this, called a colleague of mine and said, thank you, it's the greatest time I ever had in my life. Awesome. All right, I'm going to open this up to questions. From you people, be respectful. <laughs> We're both very sensitive. Yes. Do we have a microphone for the people? About surviving in Hollywood. 
I'm leaving out the part where she said, you've been in this industry so long. <laughs> um, I, you know, in all seriousness, I think, I think the best, it, the edge a writer has in terms of all, whatever these odds are against, you know, getting jobs like this, is that nobody can stop you from writing. I mean, actors don't have it, directors don't have it, you know, everybody... You know, everybody needs a writer to start with. A writer has... So... And the one thing I do believe, and see if you agree with this, you know, if you know nobody, somehow you'll get your script read by somebody. I've always sort of believed that. You should keep believing that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Talk about your inspiration for broadcast news. Um, I was having the best time of my life. Uh, well, I, there's, thankfully there's some competition, but, but I was going around trying to figure out what I'd do next, and I had just done my first picture, and it had gone very well. And, um, and I just decided not to sit in a room and think, but to just travel around, let anything that happened happen. And a friend of mine... Um, uh, was was a, a, an editor of a big newspaper, and he got me credentials to a national to the national uh, political conventions to both of them, and I went and I just hung out, and in hanging out and starting to ask questions, I met some of the people that it was based on. There's the you know I met I met I met four or five women who added up to the central character. I met I met um, I talked to one woman who was experiencing romance with two guys who were more or less on the sides of the fences in the picture. And, uh, and, and I, it came directly out of hanging out and just talking to people I'd want to talk to. And it was, that was one of the greatest times because I loved what I was doing. I, I loved being at the conventions. It was really interesting. I'm, I'm a, a news junkie. I always have been. So I'm talking to journalists and that was great. And I, and I just... And then I just kept up the research and then, you know, and then started working. And that's a theme in your life, starting from journalism to, and then we see it come up in guess, Mary, yeah. and we see it come up in Lou Grant, obviously, and, and here. But the thing is that he's, he, he's a searcher, always has been, for the truth. And if we love his stuff, it's because we feel that. Even in a funny sketch like that, there's truth in there. That's what, How why about that's special. not dated at all? I mean, if anything's dated in there, that maybe the palm tree a little bit. <laughs> I but, see, and only he would notice that. I don't care. It's funny. It's funny. It works. It's about something. Yeah, you're very good. <laughs> yes? Talk about Rhoda and Brenda. We love those women. Yes. Yes. Um, Rhoda... Morgenstern was based on my, my sister's best friend who was very much like her as a personality, Rose Goldman. And, um, and, like, and she was such a good person. When, when we were looking for a rent control apartment in New York and I was just, you know, it was just impos it's impossible to find one. And, and she, as, as a favor to us, went to every doorman at every old building and said, $100 to you the day you tell me about an apartment coming Vegas. It was $100 at the time. <laughs> and, um, and she got us a rent-control apartment. Wow. And, she was, and she was a larger-than-life, and she was, she was very Rhoda-ish. And, um, 
And Brenda, I think, you know, I think we, we had a character on paper, but Julie Kavner was it. When she walked in, it gave us more to write for than we had thought of. And, um, and, uh, and, it, and, you know, great. And Julie, of course, I'm still working with. Yes, back here, yes. What are the stories you still want to tell? You mean today? Um, I, I, I think it's, oh, this is a serious answer too, I'm sorry. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a tricky time. I think it's a, a, it's a tricky time to figure out a position. Um, uh, I, I, I used to really, I used to really believe that I had some idea that profound change was taking place and I had hunches about where to look for what was changing. And, 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 a certain, and I'm really confused right now. I'm confused and finishing a screenplay at the same time, which I guess isn't a great combination. But, but I, you know, I hope that if I, if I don't have any answers, you know, that, I, I, that I got the questions right. And um, you know, I, I think that, that's, that's what it is right now. And right now also, there's a, uh, I'm working on because there's a, 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 a new writer, director, a woman who, um, who really, I think, caught the time of, uh, of a 17-year-old girl, uh, and I think she really caught it, and, and, um, and she did a ton of research. So, you know, that's what's going on right now. Well, it's great if you weave both. The you know. question is, does comedy need tragedy? You see, you, I'd, say, I, I'd say comedy needs reality. And, you know, that's, that's, and that's part of reality. You know, and if you feel... I mean, the great thing is if it, if it makes sense to you and it's that, you know, who was it? Um, it's... They, somebody, once, somebody great once said the purpose of popular culture is to tell you you are not alone, which always made sense to me. Yes. Pardon me. I'm... She's saying she's asking how how have network notes uh, changed, right? and how they've influenced you. She read once that Mary was supposed to be a divorcee at the time, and you had to deal with that. Well, that note they were right about. <laughs> and, we, and a good note is always a good note. By the way, it's a great question, because, because network notes and production company notes and is, is, can really change things, and it's that committee thing. Not, not so much on cable, where cable is looking for the pursuit of excellence and tends to... But, but network television, there's, there's, um, there can be too many notes. There can easily be too many notes, and there can be easily be overwhelming notes. And uh, I, think, I think everybody on The Simpsons thanks God, thank, thanks God every day that we give ourselves our notes. So, and, we're, and we're pretty relentless in giving ourselves notes. That's what makes you the best of the best. They're flashing the red light like we're comedians who've gone on too long. 
I see that in my head all the time. <laughs> um, we didn't even get a chance to talk about how The Simpsons came out of Tracy Ullman, but if you come back at 3 o'clock right here, The Simpsons writers and Jim will be here to tell you about that. Let's thank the best of the best. James L. Brooks. Now leaving Nerdist.com.